If you got a Bible, open it up to Isaiah chapter 40. We're in a series called Believing Big. Believing Big. We're preaching out of the book of Isaiah, specifically chapter 40. Um, This is the third part in a five-part series and hopefully stirring the expectancy, the faith, the belief in us that God can do big things. Um, We want expectation high for our church, whether it's you're looking for healing or direction or provision or justice or rightness. We want the expectancy in your heart and your mind uh, that God can come through and will come through. And I would argue that this passage we're about to read will outline a deep truth to, that will truly transform your joy levels, your peace levels, your hope levels. In Isaiah chapter 40, if you found it, say amen. If not, you're like, I didn't find it, but I know you're going to put it on the screen. That's okay, too. In this book, Isaiah, a shift, and Pastor Mike referred to this two weeks ago, a shift is taking place where the first 39 chapters are kind of the judgment that is happening to the people of God, and they are in captivity. Chapter 40 um, is really, you know, there's 39 books of the Old Testament. There's 39 chapters in Isaiah. Chapter 40 is that shift where you see um, chapters in the prophet Isaiah that are full of hope and expectancy and even starts chapter 40 with these words, comfort, comfort, I say to my people. So we pick up right here in verse 6, chapter 40, verse 6. And why don't you stand with me, if you don't mind, whether you're online or in the room right now. And this is just out of honor and reverence to the scriptures. We're going to read three passages here, three scriptures right here. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. Very hopeful for all of us, right? Like grass. Verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. One big idea this morning Your faith is built. Your expectancy and hope in God to move in powerful ways in your life is when we honor, hear, and speak God's word. Lord, thank you for your word. And would you stir our body? Would you stir our community to honor, to hear, and to speak your word? In Jesus' name, if you agree with that, would you say amen? Won't you have a seat? Years and years ago, someone gave me a book called The Heavenly Man. Have you ever seen this book, The Heavenly Man? I think I have a picture up here. Actually, I titled this sermon, Flowers and Faith. Flowers and Faith. Um, This book, Heavenly Man. Um, This is a book about one of our Christian brothers, um, Brother Yun, and he was um, lived a courageous, amazing life. One of those lives that's kind of like um, should be in Hebrews chapter 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. Like this guy was the man trusting God, believing God, seeing God move. But his salvation story is kind of crazy. The first two chapters of the book are pretty wild. His family gets physically healed. Someone preaches that Jesus Christ is Lord. First time they ever heard the gospel. They heard the gospel. They didn't actually have a Bible. They heard the gospel, the good news that we, that humanity can be right with God through the death, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So his dad gets physically healed, was on his deathbed, gets physically healed when someone prayed in Jesus' name. Him and his whole family, it says, you know, got on their knees, bowed and said, and confessed 
Jesus Christ is Lord. They all got saved, right? So then he's like, oh, I just love God, but I really don't know. And this is what he said to his mom. If you're reading the book, he says, mom, I don't really know who Jesus is. How do I know who Jesus is? He's like, where there's this book. He's like, what book? He's like, it's called the Bible. He's like, well, can I have one of those Bibles? And she's like, no, we don't have any here. And so he's like, well, how do I get one? And she's like, go ask this one guy. I think he has one. He's in a distant village about an hour and a half. So he walked in about an hour and a half and he came and knocked on the door and said, I heard you have one of the books. And the guy's like, uh, no, I don't have a book I can give you. Well, I heard you have one. There's none around. I want a book that's going to tell me about Jesus. And the guy's like, I don't have one. He's like, well, how do I get one? Or he's like, I don't have one I can give you. He's like, well, how do I get one? He's like, ask God every single day. So for 30 days, he asked God for a book and never got a book. So then he went back 30 days later and he went to the guy and he said, hey, I still don't have a book. He's like, well, you're not, you're not praying hard enough. You need tears and fasting and weeping. If you want one of these books, God will give you a book. So he went back and for a hundred days, fasting and weeping and crying and nothing. And then God gave him a vision and two men showed up at 4 a.m. in the night, led him to this place and literally got a book. And then once he got the book, it says he memorized it. So when he would go and teach, he didn't want to take the book because people would rob the book from him. So he had to memorize the book to preach out of the book. And you read this story and you're like, there's something about, you know, when something is scarce, when something is limited, like toilet paper, right? When, 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 you have, when you have a little bit of something or you feel like there's a scarcity of something, the value rises drastically, doesn't it? I'll never forget going in the Sam's Club here in the United States and I'm walking in and I'm like, I go to the paper towel section, right? The big one, and I go to the toilet. I'm like, where's the toilet? What, what is happening? Or Elmo, does anybody remember Christmas Elmo? It's like Elmo. Why would Elmo be so valuable? When there's a scarcity, the value rises. And there's a danger culturally right now. And I'm speaking to my family right now. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You're first time you're watching online. You're engaging right now. There's a problem because the, the, there's a lack of scarcity in Western culture. So the value of something that is actually God's word has actually decreased. It's bundles everywhere. It's all over our phone. It's all over online. It's everywhere. And this morning, the passage that Pastor Mike gave me to preach in Isaiah chapter 40 right here is, if you are going, if we are going to be people that believe big, we're going to have to be people that believe deeply in the book. We're going to have to shift. Now, listen, what I don't want to do is this this morning. I was even praying about this. Is like, the last thing I want to do is, you know, um, um, preach a message of like condemnation of guilt. I don't want to sit around the table and be like, kids, you need to eat because around the world, people don't have food to eat right now, right? That, that doesn't motivate any kid. Does everybody know that? I mean, you can keep doing it, make them feel good. They put their head down and they gag as they go through stuff, but it doesn't actually change the heart. So what I'd love to do is ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you help us to see the value, the significance, and the power of your book? Someone say amen to that. <laughs> In the book called The Power of Habit, it's, it's the power of a devotion. It says we have habits work in a three-step loop. There's a cue, there's a routine, and there's a reward. In other words, there's a cue like, oh, my breath, my mouth still, you know, there's a, doesn't feel good, so I need to brush my teeth. There's a routine and there's a reward that it feels great. Did you even know from this book, did you even know that um, you don't need the suds in your toothpaste? You don't even need the, the mint smell. That's all but help us feel the reward of brushing our 
our teeth. You don't need any of that. We just as humans need some things to change our habits. So I'd love to shift a little bit the cue, the routine, the reward. And you feel this sense of urgency for the book. Your faith, and I want us believing big that God would do big things in our life. That if you've got financial needs, if you're in a real grieving process, you're in a season of depression, you're looking for direction in a job, you need a breakthrough in a relationship, you need physical healing, you need whatever you need, and your faith level needs to rise. I would say church is a part of that because you're hearing the word, but your faith is going to be built and grow as we honor and as we hear and as we speak the word. First point from this passage is this. We love flowers. We love flowers. Interesting passage right there. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. Interesting metaphor, isn't it? Humans, their wisdom... Their counsel is like flowers and grass. They're pretty for a season. They're green. They blossom and they fall. This grass and flowers is a common metaphor all throughout scriptures. It's in Psalm chapter 37. It's in James chapter 1 talking about the rich man or rich woman. It's in Psalm 103. It's in Job 14. It's in Mark chapter 4. This metaphor speaks to the brevity of life, the person, people, wealth, kingdoms. He's speaking specifically to um, the people of God, the Israelite community, about the Assyrians, about the Babylonians that are holding them captive and saying, listen, they're like grass. They're like flowers. They've got power right now, but they're going to fade. In other words, people, the world's wisdom and counsel and governance is going to fade. And I love this analogy. I've got flowers in my backyard and I don't do well. When it rains and there is sun, my flowers blossom. (laughs) It's not because of my ability to tend to them. It's not my ability to uh, prune them and culture them. But I have these ones that spring up and then they're there for a little bit of a season. If it's a hard rain or it's a storm or it's a trial of any kind, they slowly fade. I've got some hibiscus, and maybe y'all could help me with this. My hibiscus have been looking green for like five years and never bloomed. Sorry, I just, I don't even, that has nothing to do with anything, but there's got to be some way to be able to get those hibiscus. But the nature of grass and flowers is they spring up quickly. They look amazing, but they last a short amount of time, and they have very little substance, unlike trees, unlike oaks of righteousness. But culturally, let's just be honest here, we are flower chasers. We love the glam. We love the glistening. We love the, the, the slogans that supposedly could change life that can go as a post on your social media thread. We love pithy statements. We love problems that are solved quickly. We love shallow news articles that give us confirmation bias. In other words, my side bias. They're already saying what I wanted to say anyway, so I say, yes, that's it. And we haven't looked deeply. We love that. We're a culture of flowers. We love flowers. I'll never forget being in Venice Beach over in California. This is like night, this is before Amanda and I were married. So we were like maybe 2000, it was like 20 years ago. And um, we um, were at this, with this ministry that's going to do some evangelism on Venice Beach. So we go there and we set up this table. And, um, you know, there's like the Pacific Ocean. There's the beach. I don't know if you've ever seen the, the, the workout spaces on the beach. You guys seen that, right? That's Venice Beach. And then there's like this area where people are skating and walking. 
And then there was just a line of tables where people would just set up tables. And right, I, I remember standing there and I was like, well, this is an interesting dynamic here. We set up our table and it was like a spiritual questionnaire where someone could come along and we'd say, hey, you want to ask you a few questions? And ultimately we're sharing the gospel with them, right? Like that's where the conversation would lead. Um, the ne table next to us was a, was a warlock. It was a male wizard. Um, <laughs> and then the table next to them was a tarot card reader. Um, and the table next to them, and I just watched people looking for direction in their life. And they would come to us, right? Then they would go to the warlock and then they'd go to the tarot card reader. They were just going down the line. And we would say, let's just say for the, the people of God that are in the room right now, we're like, oh, those people are so lost. <laughs> like, look, I'm just jumping from one thing to another. And all the real answers lie within the book. Now, this is what I've watched around Christendom, which is we have turned into flower people that we would renounce going to the warlock. We would renounce the horoscope. We would renounce the like tarot card reader. But let's just be honest. We love, we, we love a prophecy room. We love an altar call that someone's going to come and solve our problems immediately. <laughs> Dang. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Now listen, I, 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 I've been marked and changed by altar calls. I've been marked and changed by prophecy rooms where someone has prayed, got a word from God that is so real and so deep and so dead on that I'm like, how'd you know that? Even this past week, we had a conference and we had a prophecy room at the end of the conference on Friday night where if you wanted to receive prayer and you wanted some people to listen to God for you with words of strength, encouragement, and comfort, we would pray for you. The true story, I had invited some friends that were in a season of trying to figure out what they want to do in life. So they were church planters. So Robert, we're going to come to your conference and just kind of soak it in. So this is Friday night. They come to the Friday night session of the conference. Afterwards, they're going to go to like have a couple of people pray for them and listen to God for them, right? So this couple has no idea who they, who they are. They're church planters, but the couple praying for them has no idea who they are. They sit down and they, they close their eyes. And the, the couple who are microchurch leaders here in Greenhouse, they say, I was praying, like, Lord, what would you like to say to them? And the, the mock church leaders go, oh, okay, we heard a couple of things. One is that God's sending you and that you're supposed to go plant a church. You guys, did I tell the story bad or something? Because <laughs> basically... Their church planters, this couple had no idea. And there was like a real confirmation. I'm in favor that God has spoke and he is speaking. But I would say this as a lot of times we are looking for really easy solutions and we are flower people. We, we love, um, we love the simple, easy things. We love to box people in by labeling them. It's like, oh, there are Enneagram one, two, three, four, five. And we try to take complex human problems and we make really simple solutions. And that is good until the sun comes up and exposes the lack of substance. Even you look at the book of Genesis, right? All the way back to the garden. You had a couple of Adam and Eve that had everything. They, I mean, they were in the garden and they had one thing they couldn't do. But the moment they saw the flower, they saw the bloom of a fruit, they grabbed at it. We love grass and flowers. We love exalting humans and their wisdom. And the problem with the church in general is, and we did a panel on this in the leadership conference, is this is the age of deconstruction, at least in the West. We're deconstructing 
why we do what we do, who we do it for, and um, what we do here in church, and who God is. And I would say this. Some people are like, oh, you're deconstructing the very fabric of, of the faith. No, 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 no. Some things, just so you know, need to be taken down in the house. <laughs> Some things, and you got this an, an ornate house, and it looks awesome, and I'm referring to the church. And you're like, don't take down those blinds. Don't, take, don't move that furniture. Don't do this. And you're saying, don't, no, no, no. Listen, some of the stuff is actually not good. And it's actually grass, and it's flowers, and it needs to be taken away. But there's a few pillars that have to stay up. And this is the process of deconstruction, right? It's, and you know, the, one of the teachers there, Mark Hosfeld, he said, the, the five soul of Martin Luther need to be the pillars of our deconstruction, which are sola scripta, sola, which is by, by scripture alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, to glory to God alone. In other words, where there has to be some pillars, change all of the colors of the walls. Does everybody catch this metaphor a little bit? Deconstruction's okay. The problem is, is, if your faith is a flower faith, when deconstruction comes, it actually crushes you. The goal of, one of the goals of greenhouse is we believe big. We would trust God in big ways. We would be expecting God. Listen, in my journal for this series right now, I'm believing big. I'm writing down a few things that are like only God. <laughs> Come on, God. It's not just we're going to preach a message on Believe Big. I encourage you to write down a few prayer requests and ask God to do some things that are believing big, that are huge. But listen to me. You better be deep into the book that's going to build that faith. Otherwise, you're going to be grabbing tarot card readers and horoscopes and everything else. Ultimately, the church, and I got this picture of a guy at the beach the tide is coming back. I don't know who that is or where they found that picture, but it's a very comforting picture. But the imagery I get is someone looks like they have substance. The tide goes back and they're standing there with no clothes on. The, on some level, faith and a, having a deep belief in God, when trials and circumstances get hard, the tide goes back, you're going to need more than ramped up Maverick City. <laughs> Even though that'll help you through a lot, <laughs> you're going to need a little bit more. We love flowers. Second point is this. Let's get hungry for substance. Let's get hungry for substance. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God stands forever. The word of God stands forever. This passage points to don't just be looking for surface level answers to deep problems. We want helping that helps. We want deep thoughts and a deep faith and trust in God. This book, ladies and gentlemen, has substance. It is solid. It is deep. It is rich. And I am not saying don't we, there's not great wisdom from flowers. There's not great insights from flowers. There's not great um, um, principles to relationships and principles to your business and principles to your parenting and your marriage that come from flowers. And flowers I'm referring to like people in general. But I would say this, go first to the book. Go first to the book. Go to other books. I, I, 
I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an avid reader. I'm going to say I'm a disciplined reader. <laughs> I don't enjoy reading, but I, reading, I read because it's valuable. And, um, but I'd say this. I, I, I'm, I'm saying read, 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 read. But go first when you're thinking of your problems and what you want to believe God for. Go first to the book. As, Walter, as the novelist, historian, and poet Sir Walter Scott said late, he was laid dying, he turned to his great friend and son-in-law, J.G. Lockhart, the man who has later to write his life story, and said, will you read to me from the book? Lockhart wondered which of his many books he meant, for he knew he was a great writer. So he asked, which book? Which book, replied Scott. There's only one book. One book. Bring the Bible. Dick Brogdon, who's one of our heroes in the mission field, that leads the organization Live Dead. I, I happened to see this this week. Uh, he's got a book called For, you know, For This Gospel, and it's a, it's a book of a bunch of his sermons. On the back of his book is like his name with his picture. There's like, Dick Brogdon, you know, has been planting churches in unreached areas since 1992. He, you know, he has a wife and he has these two kids. And he's like, and these are his other three books if you would like to read more about Dick Brogdon. And then he has this quote, or if you really want to be inspired, just keep reading the Bible. I was like, if you really want to get inspired, just go to the book. <laughs> Parenting, I'd say search for principles, but start with the book. I'd say marriage, relationships, business, health. There's a lot of great things, but start with the book. And why would I say this? Check this out. Why would I have to tell the church to start with the book? Now, I could understand, like, you know, when you're engaging with people that are like non-Christians, right? So some of you may be non-Christians. like, oh, that's interesting. Now, I bet that book does have some wisdom, some insight, some direction. That, I bet that book has some wisdom. When I'm talking to Christians, why would we need to even engage and say this? And I'd say this. Um, culturally speaking... Over half, this is Barnes statistics, I think I have this up here, over half of U.S. adults, 54%, believe America would be worse off without the Bible, all right? So people are like, okay, the Bible's good. Seven in 10 Americans claim a view that regards the Bible as the word of God. So um, seven of 10, 70% of people in this room online right now would claim, would agree that the Bible is the word of God. 54% of Americans say the Bible contains everything a person needs to live a meaningful life. And yet, only one in six adults actually read the Bible most days. And that's four more days a week. So if I took a poll in this room right now, I don't want to try to guilt and shame you guys. I'm hopefully going to stir you guys up to like believe and trust this book. If I took a poll in this book, I would say everyone in this room online would say this book has value, has significance. It's, it's weighty. It's got authority. The grass withers and the flowers fade. But that, that book is going to stand forever. But our neglect of God's word is evidence that we often underestimate the potency of God's word. We believe it's God's word. We just don't believe it has power to do anything. If we won't strong, become strong, stable, robust people of faith, we must structure our lives in ways to consistently and deeply hear and be saturated by his word. Faith comes by hearing the word. Mark Hosfeld, who was with us at the leadership conference, said that most Muslims, when he's in the um, Arab world, would really struggle um, believing that Christians, believing this is really God's word, because um, in Islam, the Quran has so much authority and weight, and they revere it, they memorize it, they saturate in it. But in Christianism in general, um, there's a lack of, um, I guess, shown expectancy and authority 
in the Bible. In other words, there's a flippancy about it, even though it's readily accessible. So if we're going to be people of substance that love this, I would say this. There's a couple of ways you can do this. The first one is this. I think it is really important. And I'm not saying this just because I'm a preacher. I think it's important to, for all of us to hear the word, to hear the word preached, to hear the word proclaimed, to hear the word. I, I think there's a, an ability, and I'll talk about this in a second. I think there's ability for us to be stirred by people's faith when they preach the word. Over my history, since I've been following Jesus, I would hear people proclaim messages from the Bible and they would stir me. They would awaken my faith. They would fan into flame the gift. And I would want us to have a hunger for this substance. And I think it starts with hearing the word. Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. I love in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, it says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. So there's a devotion that the church needs to have. Even in your microchurches, sometimes it's really good just to open up the Bible and say, we're just going to read a chapter of the Bible. Just going to read it out loud. We're going to proclaim it. I want us to hear the word spoken. There's something happens when we hear the word. There's a, the ability of the faith. Listen, there's an honoring of the scripture that starts. So it has to start with honor and this kind of like reverence and revering that when it gets read, there's some potency to it. Once you honor it, though, and you know there's flowers and there's grass, but there's a deep substance in the word. Then it gets read and you hear it. And when, if you honor it, when you hear it, faith starts to grow. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which, is, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is the word of God, which is at work in you. There's a discipline of hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing. Flowers, we love flowers. Let's get hungry for substance. But faith is built when we honor, when we hear, and then ultimately when we speak God's word. And this is the activating the power. Look at your neighbor and say, activate it. Faith on some level is voice activated. It's one thing to read it, to honor it. It's another thing to read it or hear it. It's another thing to activate it. And when you speak it, you activate it. It, it moves from just being here in your head. And it, I, I, I don't understand how the heart and you saying it moves your faith, but biblically it teaches that. It says, and I think it's in 2 Corinthians. I'm not sure if they got this verse or not. Chapter 4, verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Something happens when we speak. Even in this passage, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 10, it says, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Something happens when you actually speak. You don't just honor the word. You don't just hear the word, but you actually speak the word. 
Go up on the mountain and speak it. Now listen, I'm, I just got to be honest with you. I'm an external processor and some of you are internal processors. External processors, wave at me right here. External, you like to say things. Internal, you have the whole, you, you play everything out in your head. Wave at me. I, a lot of you, right? I, I, I didn't grasp this till I, I'm married to an internal processor and I remember um, packing at the same time with them. And have you guys ever packed like luggage to go somewhere with someone that's an internal processor and you're an external processor? So um, she is literally packing everything, but it's all in her head. And I'm like, all right, Monday morning, I'm going to wear this. And then I may work out, so I need to bring this. And then Monday night, we're going to dinner with them, so I'll bring this. And she's like, you got to shut up, you know. <laughs> what is happening right now? <laughs> So I just want to acknowledge that for verbal processors in general, speaking the word and believing and speaking the word is not the leap it is for the internal processors. Someone say, thank you for acknowledging. <laughs> thank you for it. But I just want to say, biblically speaking, there's a faith that is moved when we actually don't just hear the word, but we say it. Your faith needs to be strong enough to move your mouth before it can move a mountain. <laughs> your faith needs to have a little bit of um, unction to it. And it's built when we honor and we hear and we speak. Your faith is activated by speaking the words of God. Jesus says, if you have faith, say to this mountain. Whoever shall say to this mountain. Even when you're talking about salvation, salvation is believing in your heart and professing with your mouth. There's a connection between what's happening in your heart and in your mind and in your mouth. So I would say this, the, the challenge for us is this, for the internal processors, yes, I dialogue in my head about what you're saying, Robbie, and I process the whole thing and I say it in my head. I would say this, when you are reciting Psalm 23, let's just say, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not, I shall not be in want. So you can think that in your head when you're concerned about lack. You're like, man, I'm just concerned I'm not going to have enough money. I'm just concerned that they're going to fire me. I'm just concerned that my family's not going to have provision. I'm just concerned I'm not going to be able to pay for the next semester of college. I'm just concerned you fill in the blank, right? So the appropriate response to doubt that God has lack is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want, right? And you can just sit on that, I shall not be in want. Now, I think it is good when your mind goes to a promise of God's provision in your lack. I think your faith is moved to another level, because biblically it teaches this, when you out loud say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. And you say it. You speak to the mountain of fear of lack and you say it. Your faith is actually activated when you quote and when you say the words of God. If you want to be believing big and you want to be people, men and women of faith, there has to be this enunciation, this pronunciation of the Bible. I actually saw this verse this morning. It's in Psalm chapter 113. 119. By the way, if you want to talk about the honoring the word, just read through Psalm 119. Read like a stanza of it, eight verses every day for a little bit. But in one, verse 13, it says, 119 verse 13, it says, with my lips, I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. He didn't say with my mind, <laughs> I recount. He said, with my lips, I recount all the laws. 
There is a value, whether you're internal or external processor, of saying faith is activated by speaking the word. Stop using our mouths to reinforce the curse, but reinforce the promise. Speak victory in the face of death and, and defeat. Speak God's peace in the face of fear. Speak abundance in the face of lack. Speak injustice in the face of oppression. Speak hope in the face of gang violence. Speak life in the face of death. Speak love and grace and mercy in the face of gloom and condemnation. Your faith and my faith is activated by speaking the very words of God. So how do you apply this? First of all, I know it has abundance. I know it's readily accessible. I know you can turn it on your phone any second. The average person is looking at their phone every, 96 times a day. 96 times a day. Some here are like, that's low, you know. <laughs> Statistically, 96 times a day, we are looking at our phone. The, the word is on most of our phones on some level. If it's not just an app, it's accessible through Safari or Chrome or whatever you use. It's accessible. Could we as a faith community have a deep honor for the word? That we wouldn't take it lightly? We'd treat it as if it was, I can't even say, I was going to say, yeah. we would treat it with the honor it's due. We would, we would really believe verses that say, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. We believe that deeply. We'd show it with our honor. And then we would hear it. We'd continue to listen to teachings and we'd process and we'd hear the word being spoken in our microchurches, in our homes, with our family. We would proclaim and read the scriptures. But then the next step, I would say, of believing big is this. There has to be this speaking, this proclaiming. And whatever you're believing big for in your life, and Mike asked a while ago, how many of you guys are believing big for something in this series right now? A number of us around the room raised our hand. If, if you want to truly walk in faith in that, I would figure out what you're believing big for, and I would find the promises of God associated with that, and I would speak those promises out over your situation. Voice activated, honor it, hear it, keep it, speak it. I'd say this in general, the statistically speaking. Um, Barner research, because this is what I love about the Bible. Like I, I haven't known anyone that gave themselves to reading, studying, scripture memory, you know, teaching the Bible. And their life didn't flourish with more joy and peace and wholeness in their mind. There's a connection between your buoyancy in life and your relationship to the word. So my motivation is not like just like people around the world have no Bible. You should read it. <laughs> people, because what we do, right? People have no food. You should eat it. People have no Bible. You should read it. That's not going to move you. On one level, I want it to move you that you want the glory of God. That it, for God's glory, right? For God's glory, that I will, God, I will give myself to your word because it brings glory to you ultimately. Secondly, I hope you would connect the dots of the reward for humanity when they engage with the scripture. 
So it's one thing like to the glory of God, God, you want me engaging in your scripture that brings honor to you. But secondly, for the health of humanity, the health of your relationships and your family to engage deeply with it. Psalm 119, 103 says this, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts. Therefore, I hate every wrong path. Your faith and believing big is built when we allow honor, when we, when we honor, hear, and speak God's word.